So this is an interesting statement from a VP, Vice President at Air Canada, who is predicting that worldwide air travel will return by Christmas of this year. Yes, that's right. By December 25th, by Christmas of this year, this Vice President at Air Canada thinks that it'll basically be business as usual when it comes to air travel. As a matter of fact, this VP says the most difficult part will be convincing and ensuring Canadians feel safe enough to travel and to get on an airplane. Presently, by the way, Air Canada has scaled back their operations by more than 90%. And joining us now, as he does from time to time, for a look into the future and a look at and trying to predict what our world is going to look like post-pandemic is our friend and futurist, Nick Babington. He's on the line and joins us now on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, Nick, good afternoon. Yeah, good to be here, Jeff. Okay, a fairly bold prediction, one would think, by the VP of Air Canada. Do you think travel is going to bounce back that quickly, or is this just wishful thinking from an executive who, again, has seen their business decline by more than 90%? You know, this does feel like a self-serving prophecy rather than a considered opinion based on on science and and likelihood of the dissipation of of the COVID-19 virus. I, you know... We, we all hope that we can get back to normal as soon as we can. We know that absolute normality is not going to be achievable until we get to a point where we've, we've got vaccinations out in the world. Yes, we can actually get to the point where hospitals are ready. And if people do get sick, we can look after them. Maybe there are, are ways that we'll have some drugs uh, available that can help us you know, recover better or maybe not, not have such bad respiratory problems. But really, when I when I hear things like this, it it, it it makes me think of you know snake oil salesmen. It's like take this, you're going to feel better. It's like use our service, you can trust us. It's going to be okay. Now, I do think that there's something interesting here um, to be said. I think the people that are going to jump back onto planes and and trains and other other modes of uh, public transportation when you're going to be in proximity to other people they're going to work it out that you're probably not going to have planes at full capacity you're probably going to have gaps between you and other people and and they're going to have to work that out if they can do that then they're probably going to start working back at some level of capacity they're going to start bringing that business back online i think december the 25th that's what the world's going to look like yeah, because it seems to me when it comes to air travel, there's just so many encumberments. You mentioned the seating arrangements. We've all become accustomed to and used to the cramped seating, the nears and the ears treatment we're getting, and just too many seats squished into too tiny a fuselage. I'm also thinking of the recycled air in an airplane. What are things going to look like when it comes to air travel in the future, do you think? <laughs> I, I think I think the immediate future, it's going to look like a plane full of people wearing face masks. I, uh, but I, I think, you know, going, going forward, you know, there's, there's been a big push around a, a dialogue to, to reduce the amount of air travel that people, people take. And that's because of the, the sheer carbon footprint of, of, of traveling in the air, um, whether you're on a plane full of 100 people, 200 people or whatever. Now, pre-COVID-19, I was, I was flying about 50 times a year. My carbon footprint is kind of terrible. I try and offset that um, by doing carbon offsets, driving electric vehicles and whatever. I think that people are going to actually look at the state of the world, the reduced amount of you know, uh, NO2 and CO2 in the atmosphere and realize that, hey, maybe they won't have to jump on a plane to get to places. I think in continental North America, you're going to see a lot of Canadians driving around. I think a lot of domestic uh, travel is going to happen. But I think, you know, people are still going to go down to Florida, 
people I think might even drive down to Palm Springs, even across the country to California, rather than jump on planes immediately. What about virtual travel, Nick? Is that the future? I know it's not the same thing as being there, but I'm thinking about if you're somebody like me who doesn't really enjoy air travel. I mean, I like being places. I just don't like getting there, getting to those places. Uh, Strapping on virtual goggles and maybe, I don't know, being able to go down the canals of Amsterdam. Is that sort of thing going to maybe replace some travel down the road? It's just not the same. I I think that this is good for school kids that want to get a sense of what it might be like before going or or maybe some uh, people that are uh, planning to go places or are yearning to travel right now. It's just not going to replace it. Uh, th- th- there's been some really interesting uh, experiments. The Faroe Islands, uh, which is some islands, uh, if, you, if you go north from Scotland, you eventually hit the Faroe Islands. You can actually remote control uh, some, some guides that are wearing GoPros on their heads, and you can tell them to run and jump and to go around different parts of the islands. And that's kind of an interesting, more immersive experience. But there's no way that um, looking at a picture or looking at a, a VR version of Machu Picchu feels like standing there and looking at Machu Picchu itself. Joined by futurist Nick Babington as we continue to look into the future and what life might look like post-pandemic. Let's talk about the uh, work environment and the workplace for a few moments as well with you, Nick, because the Ontario government has just announced that starting Monday, May the 4th, certain businesses can reopen. And what do you think about offices once they finally get the green light to reopen and some of the workforce is called back? Don't you think that offices are going to have to, much like we just talked about with uh, airplanes, don't you think offices are going to have to be reconfigured somehow? I think you just have to consider what kind of business people do. I've got a lot of friends that work for tech companies. You know, they're developing software, they're deploying it through platforms and whatever. That can be completely virtualized. You do not need an office. There are a lot of companies that have have decided to, to move into an offline mode and it's not really hurt them. And then you've got the companies that need to transfer huge amounts of data securely. Uh, they, they need to have environments where, you know, hackers can't get in easily and such like. And then it gets a little tougher. I'm talking about, you know, the visual effects and film industry, editors, you know, doing that at home. I've got some friends in the UK that are doing that. I've got friends working in the banking industry and they have to work in different shifts so that they can access secure VPN lines, which are, which are getting overloaded right now. People that work in government as well. I mean, we even saw the House of Commons on Zoom earlier in the week. I really wouldn't recommend using a platform like that. That's not as secure and not as as, as vetted by intelligence and, and government security services, you know, on an ongoing basis. I do think what's going to happen is that companies will choose to have some in the office, some some uh, remotely, maybe some nomadically as well, you know, traveling the world. But I think that what's going to happen is a huge boom time for secure VPN systems and security um, from a cybersecurity perspective as a whole. Those areas, that's going to be incredible industries in the next sort of five, 10 years. Do you think companies will continue to have these luxury offices and pricey skyscrapers? Because I think it was, I don't know, maybe a bit of an ego thing. Maybe it was, hey, our company has arrived to have a fancy office, say, on Bay Street here in Toronto. But as we talk about moving forward and we talk about rents, you know, are they going to cut back on the square footage and the rent expenses uh, after this experience, this COVID pandemic? I, I, I certainly think people should. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. The ego hasn't disappeared during the pandemic, and it's not going to be gone after the pandemic either. I think people do like to have 
that status symbol. They do like to have these these opulent, interesting, creative office spaces. And you know what? If you're trying to design the new world, you're trying to be creative, you're trying to bring people together, you're going to have to have spaces that really feed that kind of passion and, and, and that, that togetherness and that productivity. So, yes, I actually think that this is where we're going to see new businesses pop up that are like more evolved versions of we work and co-working spaces. I use a, an office space called Startwell, and we can actually transform entire spaces to be creative event spaces and whatever. I think that these kinds of businesses are going to start to flourish a lot after the pandemic sort of dies down. Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch this uh, at-home work experiment, if you will, uh, unfold over the last few weeks. All I can say is I'm desperate to get back to the 640 studios because uh, I'm tired of talking to my office wall, Nick. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm, I've been stuck in my basement for eight weeks uh, speaking on media, working with clients, doing all sorts of fascinating projects. I'd rather be there in the room with people like you and uh, my other colleagues. Well, one day soon, hopefully. Futurist Nick Babington. Nick, appreciate the time as always, sir. Thank you, Jeff.